Alrighty, it is that time in the week where we dive into some of the big crime and justice headlines with our friend John Reed, president of the Toronto Police Association. Great to have you, John. Thanks, Alex, for having me today. How are you? Oh, uh, you know, it's been a it's been a busy, hectic week. A lot of news coming out. I think this this is a headline that has been along in the making. I don't need to tell you. I mean, ten years later, we're still waiting for the start of this inquest into Sammy Yatim and the killing uh, of him uh, by an officer who is now a former officer. And that officer, James Frasillo, has now uh, delayed the process yet again because he's filed this last-minute motion trying to present evidence that Yatim provoked the um, cop into killing him because he was seeking suicide by a cop. I don't know where this thing will go. I just know it adds more delays uh, at this point. You know, I think a lot of people wonder, like, why can't this former officer let this go? Well, I think the first thing to understand is that, um, you know, with this process, uh, with any kind of coroner's inquest we have, you know, it's the uh, subject, not the lo- it's the lawyer and the client who decide kind of process. Uh, the union, the association doesn't get involved in um, what kind of strategy is going to be employed by, by the member or by the council either. Um, you know, as far as that goes, that's really up to the individual and their council. Yeah, I mean, it's but it's almost cruel. I like you know the family at the end of this, uh, you know, trying to mourn their son. They've had to wait ten years for this thing, and I know you guys don't have any. I mean, it's slow wheels of any kind of justice in, in our system, um, but it, it gets delayed again. And so I kind of look I look at this and I say, we're not really doing justice here. Yeah, I, would, I tend to agree. I think you know, uh, obviously, this is very very difficult for everybody involved. Um, you know, his family. Um, you know, also for the officer as well, and for anybody else that's involved as a witness. Um, this has been a very long time, and I think COVID obviously had something to do with slowing it down as well. Um, but I think it's important you know, to make sure we get it right and to make sure we get all the information that's necessary to make sure we get good, positive um, recommendations out of this inquest so we can mm-hmm. try and do our, avoid something like this happening ever again. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy how much time has gone by. I don't know if that makes me just feel really old or just certainly shows how, how slow the system can be. Just let me ask you, and I don't know if you know this uh, this procedure, this officer, as I understand, resigned. Would he still be getting benefits and, and pension, or sorry, pension fr- from from his job? Uh, so benefits, uh, no. Um, and I'm not sure whether he was entitled to a pension or not, uh, given his seniority. Um, so I couldn't comment on that. Yeah, a lot of people say, well, he was convicted, so no, he wouldn't get anything. I don't know if that's an automatic disqualifier. disqualifier. Uh, no, but you have to you have to serve with the service a uh, uh, extended amount of time to actually uh, get a pension, and I'm not sure if right. he was senior enough to get that. Okay, so if an officer does though serve the time allotted and were convicted, because he's not the first officer who has found himself on, on a conviction, would that be cut off, or is it a case by case basis? It'd be a case by case basis, depending on his seniority, uh, depending upon what time he actually resigned from the service. Yeah. Um, let me get into this one because it really caught my eye when the, the ruling came down. And then, of course, it was written in an article in the spec um, where, you know, this case in Hamilton was a very big case. And I'm talking about Dylan Millard and Mark Smith, who killed uh, Tim Bosma, Laura Babcock and Dylan Millard's father. But a recent Supreme Court ruling came down not so long ago where they will no longer use consecutive life sentences. And the judge in that uh, ruling said, well, it's cruel, which is why it reminded me 
um, of of Della Miller to Mark Smitch, uh, a trial I covered in Hamilton with uh, Tim Bosma. These guys were sentenced uh, ultimately at the end of the three trials they faced. Uh, certainly, Della Millard was sentenced with seventy five years um, with the cons- you know with these sentences that were you know brought in under the Harper government. Now he could get out a lot earlier. And I think when we hear a judge say, "Well, it's cruel," I'm not so sure. <laughs> I have any problem with being cruel to people like Dylan Millard and Mark Smitch. I don't think a lot of people would. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I can tell you the Toronto Police Association in conjunction with the Canadian Police Association have actually um, been working with Tim Danson, uh, Toronto Council yeah. here. Yeah. Brian stop. Because um, our position is you shouldn't get a free pass on any second, third murders. You know, the reality is we end up in these situations where people, uh, you know, murder multiple people. And then all of a sudden, the maximum they get 25 years without parole, uh, which to me is unfair. It's unfair to the families. It's unfair that they have to go through the parole process after the 25 years as well to have to relive it again and again. Um, you know, we have to stop, I think, giving so much uh, benefit to the, uh, the accused in these matters. You know, we have to start thinking about the victims more and the families. Yeah. Yeah, or, or we've got to redefine what life means because I think we, we lull ourselves into believing that someone got a life sentence when, when that 25 years is not life. And certainly in many cases, as you well know, uh, if it's not a first degree, you, you can actually get a, a much lesser time from when you can apply to get parole. So you, you can be out easily on a manslaughter charge or something in 10 years. That's not a problem in this country. What bothers me about this is that it will allow someone, like I don't think a Paul Bernardo is going to get out. You know, he's so high profile. But we both know, John, that these parole boards make these decisions every single day. And there are a lot of bad people out there, people charged with first degree murder or convicted of that, who do not deserve a, sec- a second chance and are not necessarily in the news every day. But they will walk on these kinds of things. And I don't, you know, again, we don't hear about it, but the fact is it's not necessarily the Bernardos we have to worry about. It's the others that we don't hear about. Uh, You're absolutely right. And I think if you start looking at the pro boards themselves, it's unfortunate that it's the same pro board that's always uh, interviewing these criminals, Um, you know, because these people have the opportunity to actually change their story from pro board to pro board. Uh, You know, if it didn't work the first time, then maybe I'll change my strategy and I'll say something else. And the other sad part is there's not actually a record uh, available to actually track what was said in this uh, parole hearing, that parole hearing. Um, you know, and I think that's something which we are seeking to change and which uh, Tim Danson has been working very diligently with us as well. Let me just dive into that. So what, is a, is, what exactly is like a Tim Danson? Uh, like what, are, what would the solutions be and, and, you know, that he's presenting or that you guys are trying to, to propose? Uh, essentially that if somebody does actually convict um, commit multiple murders, they should actually be able to have consecutive um, parole ineligibilities. You know, as uh, as we have with three murders, so you get you can get, and the judge has the ability to do 25 years, 25 years, and 25 years. So that individual will not be getting out of jail for 75 years, which is actually a real life sentence. Yeah. Yeah. If only in the United States, they seem to do it right here. It's just we're, we, we are literally, John, going the opposite direction. I just find it just befuddling um, that these these rulings keep getting made. Um, and it's like this assumption. Well, Stephen Harper put it in, so it's got to be bad. No, actually, some of the stuff he put in made very much sense. 
um, you know, to make sure people are held to account. I, I wanted to get into this with you a little bit because it really bothers me. But earlier this week in a committee, uh, we learned that the Trudeau government is going to expand its gun ban uh, bill by including a whole, like, basically rifles and shotguns. So if you're a sports shooter, if you're even a farmer or a hunter, like, you don't, you can't use your, your gun anymore. And then they've got this buyback program. Um, buyback programs have never proven to be successful in the United States, not because they don't buy a lot of guns back. It's just not stopped crime. They are spending upwards of $3 billion on a gun buyback program. That's not going to solve any of our violence. But when I, when I look at an amount that big and I think what we could do with that, um, as far as combating violent crime in urban centers, like mentorship programs, support programs, cops in schools, resources for police, I think what a wasted opportunity. Alex, I couldn't agree with you more. And see, once again, you know, this um, whole position they've taken on gun violence, it's misguided. We need to start digging into where the actual source of firearms, you know, our criminals aren't using these rifles very often, um, you know, here in the Toronto or in, in these crimes. They're generally pistols and handguns mm -hmm. are being used. We need to make sure that we're putting more money into the borders, more money and, and time into sentencing, I think. And, you know, you know, one of the key pieces also is bail. People have to understand, I, I strongly believe, uh, if you're caught with a loaded firearm, a legal yeah. loaded firearm, you will not be getting bail. That's something that needs to change. But it doesn't. That's the problem. It doesn't. And we talk and talk about it. Uh, do the police associations in this country ever get together and, and push? Like, is it something that uh, organizations like yours could could get together and talk to the government about? Because on it, they don't. This is political. We both know that. I mean, those who own guns are a very easy target. It's an easy way to pander to voters. But ultimately, if they're going to spend this kind of time and resource on something that's not going to do anything, would they listen to the police associations if they got together? Uh, they do. We actually do. We have to engage. Um, the Toronto Police Association engages with other associations across Ontario, across Canada. Um, and we also engage at both the provincial level and also at the federal level for what we call lobby days. And that's when we actually go and speak directly with members of parliament um, at the municipal and federal levels to make sure that they understand what our concerns are. And we have been pushing this issue um, as far as bail for a couple of years now. But once again, as you pointed out, Nothing really seems to be changing. And I really think we need to make sure that the general public, they understand what's going on and they need to put pressure on their representatives to ask for that change. I, I think only yeah. that time when the politicians hear from, um, you know, the average citizen, then things might start to change. Because right now, you know, as you and I know, the gun violence in the city of Toronto is getting, uh, is going up and up and up and it has to stop. It has to, it should, but uh, I just really wish they would listen uh, on these things. Nonetheless, we will dive into another bunch of headlines that don't make sense next week. So I appreciate your time on this, John. Great. Thanks, Alex. Have a great day. You as well. That's John Reed, president over at the Toronto Police Association.